Hello, everyone, and welcome to yet another edition of the 411 Ground and Pound MMA podcast, your weekly, mostly, look into the wide, wacky, wonderful world of mixed martial arts. I'm Robert Winfrey. I am your host, and boy, do we have stuff to talk about today. Uh, boy, do we. Let's see. Last night, UFC 251 was certainly a card of highs and lows and longs. Really long card. It was an eight-hour broadcast. Yeah, I'm pissed about that, by the way, in case... <laughs> I'm sorry, Thirteen fight. a 13-fight card is pushing it already. Three title fights, two of which are almost guaranteed to go the distance. This was, again, it was an eight-hour broadcast, give or take, start to finish. It took the record for longest in-cage fight time from the Verbu, uh, Verdum Tabora card a few years... Uh, last year? Two years ago? I'll double-check that in a minute or two. Uh, and again, there was some great stuff and we'll talk about all of it more or less, but man, anything for eight hours, it's just not a good idea. So there's that there's two upcoming events, one of which got shuffled around and we kind of previewed last week because as mentioned, then I suck at math and calendars and the intersection thereof, but there's two events to kind of preview, uh, Bit of news, the UFC announced the main card for UFC 252, that's the Stipe-Cormier trilogy fight, and we got confirmation about the replacement for Reebok starting in April of next year, and uh, it's gonna be, uh, oh god, now I have that stupid song stuck in my head, it's gonna be Venom. So we'll talk a little bit about that, we don't know a whole lot about that deal just yet, so... Fair bit of stuff to cover here, and we're going to try not to take as long as the show last night. So let me introduce my guests. Yes, that is plural this time around. Uh, first up, my regular partner in crime, 411 Mania's Jack of All Trades. Jeff Harris is back with us again. How you doing, Jeff? My name is Jeffrey Harris, and I don't leave it in the hands of the judges. It's your great honor and pleasure to have me. You're welcome. And joining us for the first time in a while... Uh, from the from our Canadian contingent, because we are an international podcast. Uh, Andrew Graham is back with us, the Highlander himself. Andrew, how you doing? Doing good, Robert. How are you guys doing tonight? Oh, I'm not doing too bad. I only stayed up until about three in the morning between that event, post-event stuff, and then something else I just did because I had insomnia. So, uh, fair enough. Uh, to be fair, though, the MLW Underground show that I recapped would have been a nice cure for insomnia. Uh, all right, let's go ahead and jump into the meat here. UFC 251 yesterday, last night, depending on where you were in the world. Again, about an eight-hour broadcast from sign-on to sign-off. It was, uh, again, some good stuff, some bad stuff. We'll be starting out with the main event. Kamaru Usman defeats Jorge Masvidal via unanimous decision. Two four, two 50-45s, which I think are... I think that's a bad scorecard. I don't think you can reasonably give Usman the first round of this fight. And 49-46, which I think is the correct score. <laughs> um, not a lot here. You're pretty standard Kamaru Usman fight. Um, I don't even... There's only so much I can say about this. Technically, my computer was having issues yesterday. Uh, Technically, you can now admit that Kamaru Usman is a great 
fighter and a great champion and give him the due you weren't willing to give him after the Covington fight, Robert. I have always said he's a great fighter. That has never been something I've ever disputed. That said, this is only... I, I take issue with the great champion because this is his second title defense. And I'm not sure his body of work as champion necessarily... As champion only is... Has risen quite to that level. I Let me look. If he gets... I think... He is the best welterweight in the world by a non-trivial margin. I don't know who beats him at welterweight right now. He's already got wins over, like, of the top 10 contenders. He's beaten numbers like 2, 3, 6, 7, and 9. Let me confirm that real fast. Yeah, 2, 3, 4, 5, 7, and 9. He's beaten all of them. Uh, and he and he's tied the record for most uh, wins in a row world welterweight with George St. Pierre. Yes, he now has twelve consecutive wins at welterweight, which does tie GSP's record. A man you consider to be the greatest fighter of all time. Mm. I don't know. Gun to my head, maybe. Andrew, gun to your head. Is Kamaru Usman a great champion? I gotta go with Robert on this one. He doesn't have that that championship body of work yet. I mean, the guy's a great fighter. A lot of technical stuff. I love watching him, but he just hasn't gone through that murderer's row yet. Uh, to be clear, I also fully expect him to get there. Uh, I I think there's only like two guys in that group that actually give him a real fight, and he's already beaten one of them. Uh, there was a little bit. He's of... arguably had his most toughest fights already. Because uh, who is in, who is in front of him right now, except Leon Edwards and Gilbert Burns? Those it, now, come on, is Leon Edwards a tougher fight than the guys he's already beaten? No. Uh, no. in twenty twenty. No, in twenty twenty, on... no. It depends Steven on which of the Thompson? guys were. Hang on, hang on. No, it dep... your question is: Is Leon Edwards in 2020 a tougher fight than the guys he's beaten? The answer to most of those is actually yes. Okay, so Gil... then Gilbert Burns and Leon Edwards. Yeah, that's pretty much it. He beat. He beat. All... He, beat... he smokes. He smokes Burns and he smokes Edwards. I would agree on Edward. I would agree on. Sorry, I would agree on Edwards. I favor him very heavily. Burns, I think, offers him. I think the. Let me put it this way. I think the Burns fight looks like this fight minus the takedowns. It's a lot of clinch fighting because Burns has good striking and fairly heavy hands and incredible jujitsu, and he can fight in the clinch. But you know, so could Tyron Woodley, and Usman completely shut him down there. So I expect it, I expect his fight with Burns to be a lot of clinching on the fence like this. I fully expect him to wind up, you know, winning another couple of fights. I I think you can he's going to wind up in rematch territory very quickly in no small part because he beat most of the division on his way up to the title. I think you can get a rematch out of Covington if Covington wins another fight. I think you could get a rematch out of Masvidal. Agreed. Again, Mas- Masvidal beats somebody else. So, hypothetical. If they make 
uh, Usman and Burns, and Usman wins, which I expect, and they make, say, Edwards and Masvidal, and Masvidal beats Edwards, you could re- you could do the rematch with a full camp for both guys. I don't think it goes any differently. Well, I shouldn't say any differently. I don't think the outcome changes. I think Usman still probably wins via decision. I think Jorge would do better with a full camp, but I'm not sure it would be enough for me to say I would even pick him. You know, so... I don't know. Mario Usman is going to be the most dominant welterweight champion possibly ever. At a bare minimum, I, I, I think he will be in the same conversation as GSP by the time that's all said and done. Then at that point, maybe you will finally give him the respect he deserves. Look again, he's got two title defenses. I mean, so did Robbie Lawler. I wouldn't consider Lawler a great champion. Uh, let's see. So anyway, that's as far as what's next for everybody. I don't know. I mean, this wasn't a terribly engaging fight for me. I, and I know there's a lot of people out there who were, you know, if monster has a full camp, he'll knock him out. I, again, I don't buy that. Does he have a better chance of doing it? Sure. Would I be shocked if he did it? No. Do I like his chance? Do I think that's what would happen? No, not especially. I think this fight pretty much always looks like this. Masvidal is very good everywhere and Kamar Usman only finishes guys he's able to definitively overwhelm I mean he's not a finisher he's had I think three finishes in his 12 UFC fights because he finished his uh, tough finale win he knocked out Sergio Marais and he stopped Covington so he's a 25% finisher a number which will go down the more he fights at the very top of the division, which is true of everyone. Sort of like and, GSP. Yeah, I think the major difference in terms of GSP was when GSP was coming up, he was an incredibly exciting fighter. He built up a lot of goodwill in terms of his fan rea- his fan base relationship, whereas Usman uh, didn't. And I Let's think see. you can also make Here's how many finishes uh, GSP had during his title run. He had like three or four, I think. He had Matt. He had uh, Matt Sarah when he reunified the title. So winning uh, his second belt. BJ Penn was a was a corner stoppage. It counts. It was a finish. All right, corners. So two, and he then didn't have nothing, a lot, and then nothing after that. The only other finish he had was when he fought Bisping for the middleweight title. Yeah. Yeah. The only other one I would kind of add on there in terms of like goodwill and maybe not a finish, but certainly a dominant and an interesting performance was that second fight against Koscheck. Yeah, and I'd give you that. You can that make was the a, that, that, maybe was that, one deci- that was another decision, though. That was not a finish. He could have. You see, my critique on that fight is I think he could have stopped Koscheck, but he just didn't have the didn't have the will or desire to do it or to take the risk to do it. Which I don't blame him. Look, I, I don't blame him for that any more than I blame Usman for fighting the way he fought here. Usman's never going to be a... Um, he's never going to be a big star. He's never going to be a big draw between his fighting style and his personality, which is not... He's not one of these like stick-in-the-mud guys like 
no offense intended to this guy, like Stipe, who just, you have to drag, st- like getting him to talk is like pulling teeth. But he's not really, you know, a bombastic personality. He's, he's not-, not Muhammad Ali. But you know what? He is one of the best pure athletes in this division. He fought like a champion. He fought smart. And the major mark against him for last night is he didn't do a standing weighing game plan against a deadly striker like Masvidal. And Masvidal hit him and still couldn't put him away. Now, I, again, I don't blame him at all for the way he chose to fight. Winning is the most important thing, especially if you don't have star power to fall back on. If, if slash when Usman loses that belt, and I say when because inevitably he will, uh, he's not a money weight guy. He's not a marquee attraction right now, to be fair. That might change. But if he's not the champion, he's losing out on a lot of money. And I don't, I don't blame him for fighting to win. He's not the champion. He's beating pretty much everyone else in the division, which is what he did to earn a title shot. Yeah, well, I don't guys know. like Colby Covington are being Trumper thumpers and wearing MAGA hats and then getting beat by Kamaru Usman. Yeah, again, I, the, the big fear with your Usman is how far your star sinks as soon as you lose that belt. Because his earning potential without that title is low. Yeah, and how willing is the UFC willing to book him if he's not an not He'll an be engaging okay. guy? He'll be okay because he's having his run now. Provided he's smart with his money. He had this fight with Masvidal. There, there is every expectation this fight did very well and he'll come out very well financially from this fight c- c- because he was fighting as the champion well and because they had an actual and he's 33 draw. years old he's 30 like by the time he's had his his run is over he'll be he'll be well over 35 and he's pretty much past his athletic prime at that point he's pretty much like in or, or at the tail end of his athletic prime right now. He's kind of at the peak start. Uh, usually this right. is around he's the at, peak. He's at the peak. He's at the peak right now. He's having, a, he's having a good run. And by the time it's over, he's probably past that point. And he'll wind down. But he will have had a good career. And, he, and hopefully he will have made a nice chunk of money that he and his family can live on, you know, forever or until... Uh, the zombie apocalypse, which, who knows, could be right around the corner. The way this year's going. So, okay, quick to both of you, and then we'll move on to the next fight, which was infinitely more interesting. Uh, up next, Burns or Edwards? Andrew, you first. Uh, let's go to Burns. I mean, that's who they had lined up before uh, before the positive test, and assuming that, that he recovers from it okay, we'll go that way. And then, like you said, we'll see if we can get Masvidal or, or Covington back into the mix. Just real quickly, I think after watching last night's fight and watching the previous Covington fight, I think both of those uh, rematches give him some interesting options to see how those guys adjust their game and how Usman adjusts his game. One of the, the one of the interesting things that did happen early on was was we were definitely seeing 
Usman's still a fairly, we'll call him a fundamental or basic striker where he's throwing fewer shots, but they're all at 100% power. He's still doing stuff like chasing body kicks with his hands, which is like a fundamental no-no. And um, I think, you know, if you get the right guy in there, there's somebody who can, by volume, kind of Diaz style. I'm not saying a Diaz brother himself, but like Masvidal's early flurries there where he was throwing a lot of stuff to uh, to Usman's one or two punches. You've got some abilities to maybe, maybe find a, a crack in there to get in on him. I'd agree with that, actually. I okay. mean, if a Ponzinibbio or something can stay that poor, healthy, and... <laughs> that poor guy, man. Did you did you hear what happened to him lately? No, I didn't. He's got the Rona. Well, I mean, is it a is he gonna is he okay or is it like one of those really rough cases? I don't know. I know he's tested positive for it, but after all the complications he's had with his staff issues, hey. that poor guy, man. Uh, I, I think it's gotta be Gilbert Burns. I think he's kind of provided he's doing okay and he's recovered well enough. Um, I don't think we're going to see that fight right away though, because here's what, here's what neither of you guys acknowledged. It wasn't just Masvidal, uh, fighting on, on six days notice. It was Usman as well. Now Usman might've. Usman might have been training uh, and preparing for a title fight. He was not preparing for George Masvidal. And there are very few champions in the history of the UFC who have taken an opponent change on this slated notice, still defended and still defended their title. Um, of course, TJ Dillashaw uh, took the opponent change with uh, Joe Soto on like a couple days notice. Um I think the fact that he took that fight was helped tremendously by the fact that it was Joe Soto and not an actual top bantamweight. I think, <laughs> I think Khabib had that issue, but that wasn't even a title fight. Like for Iakinta, the fight wasn't the title wasn't even on the line for him. It was. It wasn't a fit. It was. Uh, Robert, trust me. It was. New not. York, hang on, New York would not have recognized him. The UFC would have. Okay, I I don't. Oh, I, he, I, I, so he I don't recognize. I don't recognize that. I'm sorry. Look, um, the, ti- look but, the UC doesn't need the state athletic commissions to acknowledge their titles. Khabib was not. Khabib was not even champion at that point. So Usman was the the, the defending sitting champion. Takes it, an opponent change on less than a week's notice and still wins. I can't think of ma- many guys in his position who would have done that. And he didn't. Comp- and not only that, he didn't complain about it. He didn't whine about it when, frankly, he had every right to sit. He had every right to sit this fight out. Had he declined, I wouldn't have held it against him. Exactly. So Dana I might have, that, though. Oh, Dana holds Dana holds Usman's existence against him. Of course, of course, of of course. Even though this this fight card would have been okay because it had two other because you had three would have been better. Fights. Well, let's be clear about this. If that main event, hang on. If that main event had fallen out, I say the fight card would have been better. This fight was the least interesting of the main card fights in practice, not in theory, in practice. And you would have shaved about 45 minutes of broadcast time off of this. And the the mindset I got from Usman is he did not, you know, he invested so much time into this fight. He had to go, he felt he had to go forward with a fight. 
And his time with his daughter is so precious to him. He didn't want to take the time to, you know, get back into another camp right away and be away with his, from his daughter more. So think about I, the, so I the next time you a- say, Robert, that this man isn't entertaining and isn't a great champion, think about that a little bit more. I didn't and say you anything think about that, that too, on. Andrew. I didn't say anything about his qualities as a human being. Not did I. Look, he's these by every account. These qualities make him a better. The fact that he took this fight on such short notice and still defended it against a deadly, vicious killer, a guy as dangerous as Masvidal, that makes him a great champion in my book. Okay, Jeff, let's address that for a quick second, actually, since you're bringing it up. I mean, let's look at the, the and you know what, that's a completely fair point, and I do acknowledge that. But, I mean, when you look at the whole kind of realm of, you know, what criteria makes a great champion, you know, you've got to have that ability of, of you know, when, when you talk about the ability for someone to be, like, say, a people's champ like GSP was, does, is Kamaru Usman a good person? Absolutely. Is he a solid fighter? Definitely. Does he have, you know, some of those kind of key killer performances? Um, it, you know, I mean, he's definitely had the dominant performances. I don't know if he's, he's necessarily produced a lot of the 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 exciting memorable um ones that we never necessarily have seen and the other one's resume i mean does this guy have every piece of potential to become a great champion absolutely has he reached it there yet not yet just because he's only two rounds in at least to say having having a story like this and i mean there's been a lot of talk about saying that masvidal has been getting more attention for making this change than usman has and you know what that's a that's a legit criticism but i'm not taking anything away from usman it's just He's he's still new enough as a champion that he doesn't have that that legacy yet. I again I do it personally. I expect him to get there. I also think that part of the reason he took this fight on these under these conditions. On, on the one hand, yes, his time with his daughter, he cares deeply about his family. I absolutely commend him for that. There's not enough people in this world that do. I have a pretty serious question, and I don't again I don't know the answer to this. That's why it's a question. But if the UFC says, okay, we have Leon Edwards to replace Burns instead of Masvidal, does he still sign that? Masvidal represented a giant step up in visibility and his payout from the uh, from the pay-per-view portion of this. And that, and I'm not knocking him for, for taking that into consideration either, if that did enter into his calculus. Uh, all right, moving on. Uh, co-main event. Oh, boy. Alexander Volkanovsky retains the UFC featherweight championship via split decision over Max Holloway. Scores as follows. Uh, 48-47 Holloway, and then two 48-47s for Volkanovsky. I, watching this live, was 48-47 Volkanovsky. That's what I was. Most people or draw. Were for... Yeah, I suppose there was. I suppose that potential existed. Um, most people were three to two for Max. They gave Max the first three and Volkanovski the second two. I was on. I was there for that one. I was three to two Max. I would love to dive into the technique that went on in this fight, but I'm not completely sure I understand enough of it to do so. These two are magic to watch fight if you love watching technical 
fighting. They are both brilliant fighters. They do so many little things that most people don't pay attention to. And the way Max came out for the first two rounds, he looked great. I mean, he was landing on Volkanovsky. His timing on that right uppercut when Volkanovsky would try to kind of blitz and push him back was wonderful. His kicking game, which he didn't show a whole lot of in their first fight, was definitely on point. And then just as the fight continued, Volkanovsky started switching his angles, uh, switching his entries to kind of take away Max's kicking game in particular, which was a brilliant adjustment. Again, there's a lot of little stuff that I'm going to have to really go over this fight with a fine-tooth comb to pick out. Uh, The big thing is that, again, most people thought Max should have won this fight. Um, I don't think that... Whether you want to... I know Dana came out and blamed the judges, which I think is incorrect. I was surprised when I saw the scorecards. I blame Holloway. It was a close fight. Yeah. His cornerman cornerman might have been misleading him as well. I don't know how much stock I put in what corners say to fighters, in all honesty. Because some of them just have to straight up lie to their fighters to keep them in the proper headspace. Okay, but how, but, because you don't put stock into it, what are the fighters putting, how much stock are the fighters putting into what their corners are telling them? Depends on the fighter. Yeah. And I would say, are you guys saying, are you guys saying all their, all all the fighters don't listen to their cornermen at all? about what they're telling them about the scores. Is that what you guys are suggesting? Because that's kind of what it sounds like you're saying, basically. I'm saying if you're cornering a fighter, your job is not to be honest. Your job is to keep your fighter in the best position to fight. Okay. And that depends on the fighter themselves and your relationship with that fighter. Some fighters, if you tell them they're down, they panic and they lock up. Even if they're clearly down, you tell them they're winning. Some fighters, you tell them they're losing because they fight better when they're fighting from behind. Okay, it... Isn't it possible that Holloway might have slowed down and slowed down in the later rounds because his cornermen th- were telling him he was up maybe three a- after the third round they were, were telling him he was up. Possibly, I tend to give that more to the adjustments Volkanovski made than Max Holloway taking his foot okay. off the gas. Max was still trying to yeah. fight the way he had fought the first two rounds. Volkanovski adjusted and actively took that away from him. Max exactly. did not look super tired in the fifth round to me. He looks like he, he could have done more. Both of these guys have insane cardio. I mean, yeah. it, it, it's not just about that. It's also about risk management, rel- not just relative to the scores, but relative to your opponent. Do you want to, how much do you want to pour out? Not in terms of, I w- I'm worried about my cardio, but in terms of I'm giving this other guy who happens to be one of the very best in the world. Well, I mean, you're in a you're in a title you're in a you're in a five round title fight. You're about to go to the judges. Your first fight was close. It went down to points. What do you what do you want to do? Well, do you want to give an opening to a guy like Volkanovski to knock you out? I mean, I to me, I had a two and two going into the last round, so I don't, I don't know. It was close. Yeah, I, I, 
my big shock coming out of this fight was that the the cage side judges all had it the same through the first four rounds. Uh, they all had Max the first two, Volkanovski the second two, and then the fifth round was the swing round, which to me was very surprising because I thought the fifth was Volkanovski's best round. I thought that was very clearly his round. For me, the I thought fourth, the third I thought the third round was his best round, honestly. Which I wouldn't disagree with too heavily. For me, the fourth round was the swing round. I thought Max had one and two, Volkanovski had three and five, and how you scored four was what decided the fight. Yeah, I had one and two for Max. Uh, three, I think I gave it to Volkanovski because he was a little bit sharper, and I could definitely feel a bit of a momentum swing. Actually, I was I was surprised. I think I found that Max was landing a little better in four, so I, I gave it to him on that one. And then, yeah, Volkanovski was clearly five. Uh. I, I know Dana came out after the fight and said, you know, we have these terrible, we have some terrible judges and some terrible refs here. We're going to have to rethink who we brought, which I, I'm, I'm sure that doesn't necessarily raise conflict of interest claims. Of course, no one's actually going to potentially bring those up because they're afraid of the UFC. We'll talk about the refing in a minute. <laughs> we'll get to that when we talk about our next fight. Yeah. I don't think the judges are at, just to be clear here, I don't think the judges are at fault for this fight. I really don't. This you don't a very- have a problem with the scores for this fight, Robert. No, I think you can go okay. three. To, I think you can go three rounds to two for either man and be correct. I think you could have gone three rounds to two for, for Volkanovski, or you could have gone a draw. Either way, Volkanovski keeps the title. I tend to think that. Yeah, again, a draw. I would not have been surprised if there had been a draw. Because uh, to me, I mean, even watching the fight, it didn't feel like. Well, I think Holloway looked good in in the opening half. He 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 did not look as in the last half of the fight. He did not look as good as he did in the first two rounds. And I I just didn't feel like either guy got really a dominant, emphatic victory. That was just sort of my overall take. Yeah, there was some good technical work in the fight, but I, I didn't really feel like either get, either guy walked away a technical, emphatic, dominant winner. I would agree with that. I, I mean, look, this is one of the things that has come out after this fight. Part of the reason I think so many people resisted Vol- or you know, are unhappy with Volkanovski winning isn't just that there's a three to two argument for him because there very clearly is. None of the rounds Volkanovski won were won in the same way that Max won the first two. You know, those are those first two rounds are the easiest rounds of this fight to score by a mile. And if you don't recover, in, especially in only five rounds, if you don't get that back, kind of people tend to resist the notion that you were able to overcome the deficit, even though all we do is measure round, 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 round. Uh I think the reality is that the 10-point must system as it currently is set up is just not great for MMA. And I don't know what the proper solution is to this. I I don't know if more judges, I don't know if you go five judges instead of three and then you drop the two most aberrant scores. I don't know if... Announce the scorecards. I don't know if that would help or not. I wouldn't be yeah. opposed to it. More liberally apply 10-8s and 10-7s. There's an argument for that. 
that if we were, I think more we don't have enough ten tens. I think I've I've That's I've, I've said that before. Judges judges are pressured into into giving the round a winner when I feel sometimes some rounds don't have a clear victor. Yeah, yeah. And Jeff, to that point, like when I was watching this, I'm like. Okay, am I judging? If I was judging this, am I looking at this in terms of effective strikes or effective volume? Because I feel on both both rounds three and four, you could have that argument either way. Where okay, someone was maybe landing a little bit more, but the other one was landing a little cleaner, and and that goes to that point. And maybe we look at more ten tens. Like this was a razor razor thin fight. I will say this: I think the because the other major scoring system. And I say system, not criteria that people are familiar with is what we kind of refer to now as pride rules, which is scoring the fight as a whole rather than round by round. I think if you score this fight as a whole, it's Max Holloway. And I don't think that's terribly controversial. But I, again, I don't know. And the reality is until there is some kind of alteration to the, uh, the system uh- with Here's the other thing. Volkanovski, just based on total strikes, Volkanovski outstruck Holloway. And I think even though he didn't do much with the takedowns, he did have three takedowns. Yeah, uh, Volkanovski deciding to add those in late was a really impressive, not just impressive, but a really impressive because he got Max down so often. Max has really good takedown defense. But he also, but in doing that, forced Max to think differently. He stalled out parts of the round. He, he was able to score points with them. Uh, again, it was a really good adjustment on his part, actually. And his clinch game was better here. The One of the big surprises to me in their first fight was how quickly Max was able to constantly frame and disengage out of the clinch. Because Volkanovski is a very good clinch fighter. Uh Coming out of this fight, I don't know what you do with Max Holloway. There's for a couple of reasons. One, there's a very cogent argument for a third fight, but I'm not sure there's an appetite for it. You can't you can't just keep running things back until you get the result you want. I agree with that. Zabit Zabit is the next guy in line. It's Zabit, or it's going to be the winner of uh, well. You have a couple of fights that the UFC is trying to put together. They're not official yet, but they're looking at doing Rodriguez versus Zabit and um, Ortega versus the Korean Zombie. I think if the Korean Zombie beats Ortega, he's probably the guy. Uh, Some of that pursuant to whether or not Zabit and Rodriguez is a five-round fight. Uh, I I would really, really much rather see Zabit fight five rounds before his first title fight. Because he's faded badly in the third round of all of his fights that have gone there. Uh, I, I would rather they move on. I don't know what, again, if you're Max, I don't know what you do, though. Do you stick around at 145? Because you've now lost twice to the champion. Do you try to get a couple of wins and then petition for a trilogy fight? Do you move up to 155? Do you take the time, bulk up properly, and see how you can make a run there? But can fight Yair Rodriguez. Well, again, they're looking at Yair Rodriguez and Zabit. Which is oh, a fight I... Or Max could fight the winner of uh, Wednesday's fight. He could. I just, I don't know how many contenders you want to kill off throwing them into Max Holloway. 
because I think he beats the rest of the division. So I, he's in a rough spot. Is I, and I don't know what he does next. I don't know if he doesn't, you know, again make a serious move up to 155 instead of just cutting less weight and then running into maybe the second or third best guy in the entire world at 155. Uh, I saw somebody on Twitter kind of put out, "Hey, why doesn't you move up Max and let him fight Cerrone?" And then you, know, and as kind of a process to really establish himself at 155. I mean, I wouldn't complain about Holloway versus Cowboy. Who would? But I, I just don't know what he wants to do next. And you know, Max is—he's—he might only be 28, but he's got almost 30 fights and he's been in the UFC for over eight years. He debuted in the UFC at four and zero, lost to Dustin Poirier. So of his 28 fights, 24 of them or 23, one of those two have been in the UFC. That's a fair bit of mileage to accumulate. Yeah, and defensively, he's not the most solid guy. So I think we've even started to see a little bit of a little bit of those city miles uh, stack up on him as well. Yeah, and it's just a rough. I don't know what he does next. I'm very curious to see because I love watching the man fight. Uh, but again, I enjoyed this fight a lot from a technical standpoint. Uh, credit to both guys. I can't think of too many other fights any other sequence of fights where after 10 rounds of fighting it's not clear who the better fighter is i mean because you can score this one for max and you can argue or you can score it for volkanovsky woodley woodley versus uh thompson i think at the end of 10 rounds of that fight you knew woodley was better the fights just weren't interesting but woodley was the better fighter these two, I don't know, man. Uh, I think Volkanovski's the better, more technical fighter. I, I just want them to not fight each other again for a little bit. <laughs> I mean, let's give each of these guys a break from having to game plan for, you know, the top two in the world. Let's give somebody, let's give that division a chance to breathe, too. You know, we have guys coming up. We don't really need to rehash a few guys at the top so anyway okay final thoughts on that fight uh i'll start with you this time jeff anything else you want to say anything you're looking forward to about it uh, for both guys in the future max holloway only has himself to blame for not walking away the champion he could have done more all right andrew uh volkanovsky can take a lot of credit for winning this one um i think some of the, uh, I think some of the results of the the issues that Max had later on in the fight were actually set up by a lot of the leg kicks, a lot of the work that Volkanovski put up in two rounds. And there's something I want to address with him mentally as well. After the end of, and this is kind of the fun part of watching these fights with an audience, you can really get a handle on on what's going on in the cage, what's going on with the fighters. And right after the end of the second round. Uh, Volkanovski was coming off as a little bit defeated. I think he just turned around and basically just cursed and walked back to his corner. And and I was reading that as a little bit like, oh, he's having a bit of a problem. But he rallied hard and came back and, and took this fight. I mean, you know, 
again, it's, it's razor thin, but I mean, to have a guy do that turnaround and, and make those game, those kind of fundamental changes in what angles you're hitting and everything like that to, to be victorious at the end of the day, that is, that is something mentally and that's something that takes a lot of heart. So good on them. I'd agree with both of those. All right. Uh, next up, Bantamweight for the vacant title. Your new champion, Piotr Jan, defeats Jose Aldo via TKO 324 of the fifth round. This, I w- this was my fight of the night. I mean, much as I want to go through Volkanovski Holloway 2 again, much as I think there's a lot of stuff I can pick out and have fun with there, uh, these two had a high-paced, back-and-forth, really, really exciting, brutal fight. Uh, these two broke the record for most, I think, I can't remember if it's most strikes or most, I think it's just most total strikes landed in a bantamweight fight in UFC history. If you were to look up the total, uh, most, you know, most strikes landed in a bantamweight fight in UFC history, Piotr Jan by himself in this fight takes the seventh spot. Uh, he landed 258, I believe he was credited credited with strikes over the course of this fight, which is a crazy number. Over 23 minutes to land 300 blows. That's absurd. That's that is a just an absolutely crazy pace. That's I think you said it to me when we were talking about this, Andrew. That's a boxing pace, man. You get a oh, high yeah. paced. You get a high-paced boxer, and after 23 minutes, that's kind of the number they're looking at. Or you get someone truly crazy like Leo Santa Cruz, who throws 100 punches around no matter what. But Leo Santa Cruz aside, this was a crazy pace these two fought at. Jose Aldo broke his own record for most strikes landed in a fight ever. He was well north of 100 by the end of this. Uh... Jan had a really, really good first round. Hurt Aldo to the body just as the round ended. Then Aldo, to his credit, comes out in the second and lands a couple of really hard leg kicks that force Jan to go southpaw and kind of stop Jan capitalizing on that damage he had taken. Uh, Jan is just... Jan is dangerous at every distance and at every phase of the game. He's a good scrambler. He's good in the clinch with either short uppercuts, elbows, trips, sweeps, throws. He's got a good kicking game. He doesn't use it a whole lot, but he's he landed some really nice body kicks on Aldo. His boxing is really good, be that long distance jabbing or pocket fighting. He's good from both stances. His wrestling game is really good. Uh, and he he's a little bit like Max Holloway in the following sense. Max is not going to kill you with one punch. Max isn't going to kill you with a frantic pace. Max is going to keep a high, a high pace and he's going to keep pressuring you. Max is like water. And I don't mean that in the Bruce Lee sense. I mean, water dissolves more substances than sulfuric acid does. If there is any flaw in your construction, water finds it and starts going through it. And that's kind of what Max does. And that's kind of what Jan does, too. There's a lot of pressure, and a lot of it's sneaky. It's not 
charging after you relentless. It's just always in your face, always doing something, always making you work, always finding something to do, always hitting you. And it's a high pace, but not a frantic one. It's one that he can fight at, you know, for a full five rounds, apparently. Landing, you know, almost 300 strikes over 25 minutes. Which is still crazy. <laughs> I I just want, look, give me Yawn and Sterling next. And I don't know who wins that fight. But I think those are the two best bantamweights right now. And I want this division to finally have some normalcy to it. Uh, but again, my personal fight of the night, really good stuff from both guys. Uh, good adjustments from both men. Just Jan's pressure, forcing Aldo to constantly be doing stuff, combined with his own really good skill set, uh, just became too much down the stretch. Uh, as a separate note... The referee for this fight was Leon Roberts, who might become the new uh, Mario Yamasaki in terms of, I'm just going to watch this person get beat to death. Uh, this fight should have been stopped a full minute, 90 seconds before it was. Uh, the finishing sequence was uh, Jan drops Aldo with an uppercut in close gets on top, gets into kind of, I call it the ride position, I, which I know is just like every wrestler and grappler out there in the world is screaming at me, but I I could go folk style into all the different rides that they do there, or I can try to use <laughs> jujitsu terminology and all the because in wrestling it's not actually a ride, it's the they call it the referee's position. I call it a ride. It's someone in the turtle, so on their knees and elbows. You've got one hook in, sometimes no hooks. Uh, you just kind of off their hip off to the side and it's a catch all term I use. And I, and I just, I hope you all kind of go with me on that. If I get more, much more technical than that, people get lost in the weeds or I get lost in the weeds. Cause now I'm referencing the wrong ride, which I have done in the past. And he just, he's, he pumping, he's there and he's punching Aldo in the head and he's hammer fisting him and he's kneeing him in the body. And this goes on for about 90 seconds more than it needed to, uh, Horrible, horrible late stoppage by Leon Roberts here. Horrible. Uh, anyway, that's the fight. Uh, such as it was. Again, there's a lot of stuff I didn't get into there, but we'll see if we how much we might get into here in the discussion. So, uh, Andrew, I'll start with you on this one. What are your thoughts here? How familiar were you with Peter Yan coming into this? Because I know, much as we both acknowledge how good Jose Aldo is, you're not a big fan. Yeah, I am. I am not a huge fan of uh, of Jose for a number of years. Uh, Peter Young, I have some familiarity with. Um, I believe I let me just go back to his his uh, record here because I believe I definitely remember him, or at least remember seeing the highlights of him stopping Faber. Um, I mean, I was certainly familiar with with kind of the skill studies that he had uh, coming into this. In watching the fight itself, I actually thought that um, I'd say the the first couple rounds he was actually hanging back a little too much because I think one of the things that that you can do to your own detriment against Jose Aldo is let him fight at his pace, and I felt like he was doing that a little too much. 
I felt that they were, I think, you know, they were making this comment that they were almost doing a, a bit of a telephone booth where they were basically had both feet in the ring and then in one hoop and were basically, you know, just a couple inches outside of each other's range and, and throwing power shots. But I think the thing that really gets Jose Aldo is that if you make him work really consistent, consistently, which is what he did getting into, I'd say, probably the the later half of two, definitely into three and, and all the way to the end of the fight, is that even if you're not hitting him hard, if you're making contact, if you're making him work, if you're making not allowing him that rest time, then that's how you get to cracking him. And that's eventually what happened. Just the, the weight of, of the volume kind of stacked up on, on Aldo and, and you know he went down. I'd also like to say that I think more accurately, the ref in this case is more similar to Kim Winslow. Kim Winslow. I forgot about her. The referee in this fight was uh, Liam Roberts, by the way. Yeah. yeah. All right. So, Jeff, you weren't happy about this fight being made to begin with. What did you think of the action? Are you looking forward to normalcy <sighs> finally hitting bantamweight? I don't know. I mean, I you can't really trust Dana White regarding normalcy. Plus, we're in the middle of a pandemic. True. Just for example, the next fight should be Piotr... Uh, Piotr? They were saying Piotr on the broadcast. Piotr on. That's what yeah. I'm going with if I'm still doing it wrong, and I probably am, at least on the accent. I apologize, but this is the best I can do. <laughs> Piotr Yon versus Aljamain Sterling. That's the next fight to make. I think Piotr Yon is a bad dude, and I think he's going to hold on to the title for a long time, quite frankly. I think uh, Sterling is a good fight for him. Uh, to, to, you know, sort of set the tone for his title run. Uh, I don't expect him to lose that title anytime soon. Aldo looked good last night, but I feel like Aldo's at a point in his career where he's still tough, he's still strong and competitive, but he's no longer at that level where he can go that extra five centimeters to beat these upper-level opponents. Um I feel like he should have. He his career was winding winding down. He, I thought he was going to retire after his last fight in Brazil. Instead, he re-upped and tried to go for a run at bantamweight. Um, I just don't. I don't think it makes sense because now he's zero two at bantamweight, and he got this fight because he looked good. Even though he looked good against Bryce, I mean, all right, he looked good against the number one contender but he still lost that fight he still didn't finish Marais he didn't he didn't beat Marais and that finish was awful um it was like someone yelling Jose Aldo has a family and Leon Roberts goes F his family stop Leon Roberts is going already dead Leon Roberts going, well, if he dies, he dies. I don't care. Just just sitting there, sitting there watching popcorn while that guy from Rocky Four was going was yelling, throwing the damn towel. The um, one I saw the one yeah. I saw was a uh, I think it was uh, the the Facebook group Jujidiots. And uh, they had that scene from The Last Jedi where all the <laughs> the walkers were firing at uh, at uh, Luke Skywalker, and uh, you know, after 32 punches, more, and then after 320 extra punches, more. <laughs> that sounds about right. Um, um, that was just that was hor- it, it was horrible. Reminded me of 
horrible. It reminded me of the um, the Rockhold Weidman fight because I think you can make it, it's one of those those ones where we start to get into the argument of what is intelligent defense because in both of those cases were those guys making movements to try and and you know get themselves into a better defensive position? Arguably, yes, they were. Were they actually necessarily even intelligently defending themselves? or putting themselves into a position to just take more damage. I once, John McCarthy once told me personally, like, because he was talking about Carano versus Cyborg. He said, like, when, when Cyborg was blasting on Carano and Carano was just covering up, he says, if you're, he says, if all you're doing is covering up, you've basically given up. So covering up, basically just covering up from getting blasted is not intelligent defense. Now, Aldo did adjust his position in one of those flurries, but it was after he had just one hand up and he was prone and took about 14 unanswered shots. The fight easily could have been stopped there. We've seen fights stop for less. And he didn't, he, he wasn't really, a, even though he did move positions, he wasn't really able to mount much of a defense after that. Um, but yeah, I was not happy with how Leon Roberts handled that. Yeah, uh, as far as Jan and Sterling coming up, uh, I think if Sterling doesn't beat Jan, I'm not. I think it'll be a while before Jan loses that belt. Uh, that said, I wouldn't be shocked if Sterling does beat him for it. Sterling is really good, but I am looking forward to that fight. That should be what's next for both parties. Here's a question I saw band something I saw bandied about, and I'm curious about you guys on this one. If Jose Aldo still wants to fight, coming out of this, have we finally arrived at the mythical WEC super fight of Aldo versus Cruz in 2020? Ooh, I like that. <laughs> Jeff, you interested in that fight at all? Or uh, you just... I guess you, I guess you could do that. Uh, Based on Cruz was on ESPN, he was on Ariel and the Bad Guy on uh, Saturday, and he did make it seem like he was training and just getting ready for another fight again. He's not, he doesn't have a timetable on when he will fight, but it did seem like he's open to taking another one. I wouldn't, I wouldn't really be opposed to that fight. I guess the way those two fight and match up, but I don't know. I guess we'll see. That's the, that's an interesting one. I'm kind of fascinated by that. I mean, it, might... we're, you know, a decade past that fight being at the peak of what it could be, but. <laughs> Stylistically, though, like, I mean, the way the way Cruz's footwork goes, it could be. It could give Jose some problems. And I mean, Jose has got the power to, to counter it, though. So, I mean, that's a that's an intriguing prospect of a fight. Technically, Dominic Cruz didn't lose to Henry Cejudo. That referee, Keith Peterson, was on the take. That referee was, he was cheating him. He was his uncle, his uncle Rufus. Well, look, he leave old. Smelled of, he smelled of cigarettes and alcohol. Look, we, we'll leave old uh, Keith Hookers and Booze Peterson aside for the moment. He uh, screwed Cruz. Cruz was not out. Cruz didn't uh, lose that fight. He's. He's technically still the line the lineal champion. Oh, Cruz hasn't been the lineal champion in a long time. 
He lost his belt. He lost his belt fair and square, clean as a sheet to begin with. He, you're no longer champion. You're no longer lineal champion after you lose. Uh, so anyway, that those were our triple header of fights. Jan and Aldo, surprisingly great fight. Volkanovski and Holloway. Irish's with the scoring aside, I found that to be a very very compelling fight. Usman and Masvidal. It was a Kamaru Usman fight. You kind of know what you're getting into at this point. And if you go in, if you watch a Kamaru Usman fight and your response coming out of it is, why did, why was there so much clinching? Boy, that guy sucks. I, I just, I don't know what to tell you guys. Kamaru Usman does not suck. There's a lot of technical stuff he did in that fight that was, I'll give you an example, just, just a small one, because I, I think I occasionally come off on this show as being way too hard on Kamaru Usman on occasion. When Usman would try to get either a double leg or the clinch on Masvidal, Masvidal's takedown defense is very, very good. And every time he would try, Masvidal would get underhooks very quickly. Either bicep control, wrist control, just get, the, just get one all the way through um, around the body, which is a really difficult thing to deal with if you're the one shooting a takedown. Having to battle past your opponent's underhooks is a hard thing to do. And he did it. Masvidal would get double underhooks, and by the time they hit the fence and kind of came up chest to chest, one of Kamaru Usman's arms is pummeled around Masvidal's body. That is, between technique and strength and just determination an unbelievably difficult thing to do. And he did it consistently. Did it consistently to Woodley, too. And and I get that there's a giant, you know, the biggest chunk of the audience is casual and doesn't actually care about any of that. But I may not find Mosfidal, excuse me, I may not find Usman's fights all that engaging. But if your response to this is, well, that guy sucks. Why doesn't he fight the way I want him to fight? I got, I don't know what to tell you guys. Watch more fighting and don't just show up twice a year for big fights. I mean, I am very much not a casual fan. And if you want me to go into detail about why I don't find Usman terribly engaging, I will. But if you're, if you, again, if you show up twice a year for only the big fights and you look at this guy fight and go, yeah, that sucks. Doesn't suck. You may not like it. I'm not telling you you have to. But it is he is not at all a bad fighter. Uh, okay. Rest of the I just main... love the fact he tried to can opener Masvidal at the end of the first or second round. <laughs> that was hilarious. And that is, credit to Masvidal, because that is, a can opener for those listening is, if you're in somebody's guard, what you can do is actually basically put a tight clinch on the back of their head place your elbows on their chest and lever the, their head towards their chest. So their chin basically goes forward. It is intensely, intensely uncomfortable. If you hang on to it, you can actually sub to it if you're going to be that stubborn. But most often what happens is that you'll actually kind of involuntarily open up your leg, open up your guard so you can get past it. But that is a, uh, that is a very kind of old school catch as catch can move that I saw that I'm like, that is awesome. For those of you who want to see can openers finish fights, I can recommend the career of Mark Kerr. Yeah. <laughs> who had at least two really brutal ones in pride. He, he like permanently injured people with that. 
Well, you probably did that extra twist on it, but uh, yeah, can openers are not uh, not to be taken lightly. <laughs> I am looking. I I know the production got halted, but The Rock is going to be playing Mark Kerr in a biopic. Really? Oh yeah, he announced that he announced that during his involvement with uh, the Masvidal Diaz fight. Hmm. Uh, anyway, rest of the main card. Um, I think I'm just going to go through the rest of this because I don't want to be here for twenty for you know three hours. Um, and then you guys can talk about any of these how mu- however much you want within reason. Um, Rose Nama Yunus defeated Jessica Andrade via split decision, twenty nine twenty eight. Uh, I was twenty nine twenty eight Nama Yunus. That said, I think one of the things I said last week on this show was if this were five rounds, I would probably favor Andrade again. Because I think the way she matches up with Nama Yunus, just eventually Nama Yunus winds up succumbing to what Andrade does. Over three rounds, I picked Rose and felt fairly confident doing so. This was kind of why. Third round, the first two rounds, Nama Yunus's footwork and her jab and her one-two all working very well. But Rose's footwork, uh, I, I suppose the correct, the most direct comparison I can draw if we're talking about Andrade is Rose's fights with her versus Joanna's fights with her. Joanna, rather than slick, in and out, hit a one-two, pivot, float around, was very much draw a big circle in the octagon and just kind of walk around that and lead Andrade around that same path and hit her the entire time. That will work on Jessica Andrade every time because of how she fights. The way Rose's footwork works, as soon as her legs start slowing down a little bit, Andrade's ability to get to the body and Andrade getting close becomes more effective because Rose is more willing to be hit, get in close, or hit her on the way in, float around to a tight angle, but stay in stay in striking distance. And eventually, as your legs slow down, as you get hit to the body, because Andrade is hitting you when she gets in, as you start slowing down, that starts working more and more and more and more. And I think over five rounds, Andrade wins this fight. It was only a three-round fight, so she didn't. But if you look at the third round... Uh, Andrade was getting to the body a lot more. Her combinations were working more. Rose wasn't getting out of the pocket as quickly as she should. She wasn't, you know, turning and pivoting the way she had been before. And I'm not saying that as a giant negative. What she does is very, very difficult to do to begin with, much less maintain that over a prolonged period of time. But if there, I mean, her face was busted up. She looked very, very, her face looked pretty clean coming into the third by the end of the third, looked like she'd been in a car wreck. If there's a fourth round to this fight, I don't know that they even let her out with the way her left eye had swollen up. That fight might be stopped between rounds three and four on doctor's orders with that eye. Um, give Rose time to heal up, and I think she should be next for Li Zhang, uh, assuming the timing lines up. Uh, Amanda Hibas submitted Paige Van Zandt two minutes, 21 seconds of the first round. This was academic. Amanda Hebus made this look easy. I wish Paige Van Zandt the best of luck in Bellator, which is where I imagine she'll wind up. On the prelims, Yuri Prohachka defeated Volkan Uzdemir via knockout 49 seconds of the second round. Yuri Prohachka, the Eastern European version of Johnny Walker. Uh, 
weird guy. I mean, I've seen enough of his, I'd seen some of his, uh, you know, regional fights, some of his other, I'd seen some of his fights, so I knew he was weird. I didn't expect him to bring the same level of weirdness into the octagon against Vulcan Uzdemir. Um, look, the better fighters in that division will punish him for being, for fighting like that. But as we've seen, light heavyweight is thin and you can get a long way with kind of what he's got. Muslim Salikov defeated Eliza Zaleski Dos Santos via split decision, 130-27 for Salikov, which I thought was crap. I don't know how you can give him the first round. Uh, a 29-28 for him and then 29-28 for Dos Santos. I scored this for Dos Santos, full disclosure. Uh, not a bad fight, but I thought the wrong guy won. Makwan Amir Khani defeated Danny Henry via technical submission, Anaconda choke, 315 of the first. Really nice Anaconda choke from Amir Khani. He hit this from a position that I think Ben Askren in folk style calls it uh, the assassin. It's a ride. It's kind of, again, that back on the hip. You have one hook in. You have one hook on their legs. Your, whichever side is next to them. So if, uh, you know, if you're on the ground and I'm on top of you and my left side is on your right, if I'm kind of on, if I'm on your right hip, if my right arm reaches all the way around across your neck and my left arm goes, you know, uh, into an underhook under that, under your right arm, that's kind of that position. And if you're in folk style wrestling, it's very powerful. It's very easy to roll your opponent into a pin. If you're in jujitsu or MMA, it's very easy to transition into either a seated arm triangle choke, depending on where the opponent's arm is relative to your body, or as we saw here, into an anaconda choke with you punch, when you punch your arm all the way through. It's a really nice position to set up those two techniques from. Uh, Jack Hermanson gets the seated arm triangle from there pretty consistently. Uh, there's a couple of flyweights who have hit the anaconda from there. It's a really nice setup, uh, and it was a really nice submission here from Amir Khani. Leonardo Santos defeated Roman Bogatov via unanimous decision, 29-26 across the boards. Good lord, this fight. It was kind of okay through the first two rounds. Then we got to the third. The third round took, I believe, about 15 minutes. Um, Leonardo Santos was hit in the groin twice. The first one, badly. He took, all, he took the full five minutes to recover. Took time for the second one. Then he gets hit with an illegal knee. He gets uh, Bogotov gets deducted two points. I would have just disqualified him and saved the entire audience the extra two, the extra ninety seconds of that fight. I think it was. Um, wasn't a bad fight to begin with, but turned into a train wreck of a of a fight to watch. Sucked. Speaking of sucked. Marcin Tabora defeated Maxim Grishin via unanimous decision. Two thirty twenty sevens. One thirty twenty six. This fight sucked. Uh, Harleen Paiva defeated Zalgas Zumagulov, a unanimous decision, 29-28 across the board. Not a bad little flyweight fight. Not great, but not bad, apart from Paiva missing weight. Uh, Carol Hosa defeated Vanessa Mello, a unanimous decision, 30-26 twice and won 30-27. Shutout for Hosa. Uh, Mello also missed weight pretty badly. Uh, Paiva weighed 129 for his flyweight fight. Mello weighed 141 for bantamweight. And kicking everything off, Davey Grant with a really nice left hook in the third round knocks out Martin Day, uh, 238. We got off to a pretty good start. That was a pretty good fight. Uh, Again, just 13 fights is too much. 13 fights with three title fights, way too much. You were asking for trouble with this, and you got it. Uh, 
Jeff, I'll start with you. Rest of those fights, Burning Desires, what do you uh, got? Man, Volkan Uzdemir is one of the most inconsistent fighters of all time. It figures that his UFC debut, one of the worst fights ever. Then he loses to a guy like Yuri Prashaka. Prashaska? Uh, last night. Uh, Maquan Amerikani, that was a good anaconda choke uh, against Danny Henry. Uh, that Santos, uh, Bogotov fight, don't even bring Bogotov back. He doesn't even understand basic rules. Should never fight in the UFC again. Uh, that Tybura Grisham fight was horrible. And, uh... Zaleski Dos Santos got screwed. He won that fight against Salikov. He got screwed. He got screwed by the judges. All right, Andrew. Uh, let's see now. Uh, Andraj and Namunas was a fantastic fight. Um, I, I'm in agreement with your assessment that if this thing had gone five that night, then uh, Andraj probably would have won it. Um, Probably the things that were occurring to me on that one was Nama Yunus probably could have stood to do a little bit more work to the legs and probably to the body as well uh, on Andrade to try and slow her up a little bit. Um, holy crap, does Andrade ever have a chin on her? Because she got cracked a lot of times pretty cleanly and and didn't really show much for it. Um, Andrade has a chin like a Andrade has a chin like a tank. It's a minor miracle that Wei Li Zhang stopped her with her charging into that knee. <laughs> Oh, yeah. I mean, uh, oddly enough, on some level, Andrade kind of reminds me of, of Jose Aldo because they both have these insane chins. Yeah, I can see that. Uh, Medahibas, I'd like to rechristen you the It Girl Killer. <laughs> Fair enough. For uh, for uh, taking post Mackenzie Dern and uh, Paige Van Sant in your last couple of fights. Um, I got to say, the finishing sequence on this was fantastic. Um, basically hitting the, you know, I know a lot of people don't love the use of head and arm throws in the women's division because it always ends up in a back take. This is how you land it properly. You land in a good case of Katami. Um, Van Zant tried to, uh, being against the cage didn't set up for a great, uh, case of position. So, uh, Paige was able to eventually wiggle to an attempt to, uh, to take, uh, Hebus's back. She reversed it, took, uh, Van Zant's back. Then transitioned to arm bar. The uh, page tried to counter it. She went arm down. It was just a wonderful, wonderful transition from position to position to position to eventually get that arm bar. Um, the only other one I saw was the uh, Ozdemir um, uh, Prokazka fight. Uh, yeah, he is a weird, weird guy in the way he moves. And I get what he's trying to go for with the, you know, kind of the, the, the head movement based striking defense, but it's not. It only works to the degree that that you're able to actually successfully move, and he was still getting hit pretty consistently. So, I mean, if he moves up a little bit against some, some more quality competition, he's going to get cracked, and he's going to be down. Yeah, although he and Johnny Walker would provide one of the oddest fights you could possibly imagine, those two fighting each other. Uh, for the record, your assessment of Hebus hitting that head and arm throw, uh, she's a legitimate judo black belt. So there's a few people who know how to use that throw properly in women's MMA. She is one of them. Yeah, and landing it, like when you see, and for that one, it came down to landing because she landed that perfectly. Her her legs were 90 degrees offset from each other. She had a wraparound um, 
Page's head and neck, and that that is just a rock solid Kasekatami um, position to, that puts in a lot of pressure. Um, that, that was all I saw. Um, though I'm gonna have to look up this uh, Amerikani uh, finish. Uh, all I've seen is it from the uh, from it from the uh, Anaconda already being locked in. So I didn't see how it got there, but that sounds like that was a lot of fun. <laughs> Yeah, I, I hate when they do that with submissions. They show, because once it's locked in, there's usually enough time of the guy fighting it to make the clip, but they don't show the setup, which is the most interesting part. Oh, exactly, entry. Yeah, so that was UFC 251. Many thanks to everyone who read my coverage live or my full report, both of which are in the MMA Zone of 401 Mania. It was a long night, but I thank you guys for sticking around, for amusing me on occasion, for being active in the comments. Uh, again, I, I just I appreciate you guys a lot So thank you very much uh, We have two events this coming week Let's start We can go quick on this one I think actually uh, UFC on ESPN 13 uh, That would be this coming Wednesday July 16th Is that still mislabeled? Yeah it's the 15th I don't know why it's listed as the 16th Unless, No sorry it might be because it will be the 16th in Abu Dhabi, given the time disparity. It'll be the it'll be Wednesday here in the States. Um, we talked a little bit about this last week. Uh, then this week, the co-main event, Frankie Edgar versus Pedro Munoz, fell out after Pedro Munoz tested positive for COVID. That fight has been rebooked for the main card of UFC 252. Uh, and the, the card is... A, follows i think i'm just gonna let you guys say anything you'd like to about this card uh we have calvin cater and danny Ige still in your main event which is still a really good fight uh, i still kind of like Ige there but i'm really looking forward to that fight uh your new co-main event is tim elliott versus ryan benoit hey men's flyweight getting a getting some love that might be the first appearance of men's flyweight on the main card in all of 2020 i'll have to confirm that but it wouldn't shock me uh, featherweight fight between Jimmy Rivera and Cody Stamen. Uh, both men normally bantamweights, but just not fighting at bantamweight during the pandemic. And I don't blame them for not wanting to cut the extra weight at the moment. Uh, Molly McCann. Will, uh, there was a time I would have picked Jimmy Rivera in that fight without too much hesitation. I don't know that we're still there. I'm going to lean towards Rivera, but Rivera seems to might be hitting the downside a little bit. Uh, Molly McCann versus Talia Santos. Abdul Razak Al-Hassan versus Monir Lazé. Uh, John Phillips and Kazat Shemeyev. Uh, excuse me, Kazamat Shemeyev. Did that used to be something else? Uh, let me do... I think it was. Eh, anyway. Uh, Chris Fishgold and Jared Gordon. Poor Jared Gordon, man. His entire corner team tested positive for COVID. Yikes. Um, so now cornering him for that fight and for that fight only will be Paul Felder, who will be doing commentary for that event. He's stepping away from the commentary desk to corner Jar Jared Gordon in this fight, and then we'll be back on commentary after. Paul Felder is a pretty genuinely decent human being. Uh, and that one also at featherweight. Also at featherweight, Ricardo Hamos and Lerone Murphy. Not a bad fight there. Hamos is usually watchable. 
Modestus uh, Bacausus against Andreas Michaelidis at light heavyweight. I imagine that will suck because unknown light heavyweights. Diana Belbita and Liana Zhaoja. Uh, tough one there, actually. Both women have had ups and downs. Uh, probably Belbita. Jack Shore will fight Aaron Phillips. That should be that could be okay. And also a light heavyweight fight because God hates me. We have Kenneth Berg and Jorge Gonzalez. Gonzalez stepping in to replace uh, Timo Fucht? Fecht? Fucht? I don't know how that man pronounces his last name. It's probably German. Which would be... Oh, him. Yeah. He was a Nazi. <laughs> yeah, he was removed from this card after he it was discovered he had past ties to the neo-Nazi movement. I don't know if he's still associated with them or not, but... Yeah. So, that's your card. Uh, Jeff and I talked a little bit about this last week, so Andrew, I'll give you first crack. What stands out to you on this card, if anything? I'll be perfectly honest. I am I am an in-and-out UFC watcher enough to say that I don't have strong memories on a lot of these fighters, so I don't have a lot of comment here right now. Uh, I will say for your... Just uh, because I know some of your training and what you like to watch, Cater and Ige, I think, will be up your alley. Yeah. Uh, the rest of it, uh, if you have time, I guess. Okay, Jeff, again, you and I talked about this last week. Anything you want to add to that or reiterate? Tim Elliott is in a co-main event, and we should all rejoice for that. Look, flyweights are on the main card. We're calling that a win. <laughs> Actually, uh, we're getting two flyweights on the main card in a row. Cater uh, versus Eeg is a, I mean, it is a fun fight, and it is a legit fight for the featherweight division. Not exa- not a title eliminator, but it's a good fight. Um, I'm picking Eeg uh, right now. Um, other than that, it's pretty much a card. Yeah, it'll be on Wednesday, and I will be covering it because I have no life. Uh, Saturday, there is another event. This one is just right, right, currently listed as only being on UFC, excuse me, on ESPN+. Plus. I am. I don't know what ESPN will be airing Saturday, but uh, on their main channel instead of this. But uh, for the moment, we're just going with uh, the ESPN Plus tag. Um, I think the only one we're going to talk about in any kind of depth here is the main event again. Um, it's a rematch for the flyweight title. Uh, Diaz and Figueredo against Joseph Benavidez. These two fought earlier this year, I think. I want to confirm that was earlier this year. Yeah, in February. And Figueredo knocked this, he knocked out Joseph Benavidez, but he missed weight in doing so and thus did not win the title. Uh, this fight got thrown into a little bit of chaos this week as it was announced Figueredo tested positive for COVID. He was retested immediately, and that one came back negative. As it currently stands, he is flying to Abu Dhabi. He will take another couple of tests there. Uh, apparently he had Corona, the coronavirus a couple of months ago and feels that this is just residual. He doesn't. Uh, so I'm not a doctor, but is, is that even possible? What to contract it a second time? No, no. To, to have to test positive. If you don't have yes. the virus. 
depending on the test they're using, yes. If they're using the antibody test, yes. Because the antibodies will be in your system still. Because uh, so I think I think Robert, you even told me once there was there was very low chance of false positives for this virus. No, I said there were very low chance. Uh, I said there were high chance of false positives. Uh, I I think what I said was the testing was or not great. false. Mm-hmm. I think the point there was that the testing at that point in time was not great. Should they really be flying him out to Abu Dhabi right now? Probably not, but I don't know. It seems a bit. It seems well. A bit, it seems a bit sketchy to go forward with him flying out to Abu Dhabi when he tested positive and when he previously when he's maybe he doesn't have COVID now, but he he is in recovery because well, you can't so- get it again. You can't get it again. Look at um, Charlie Caruso. Got it twice. Yeah, it's not impossible to contract it a second time. Uh, some of that will depend on the testing. If he had an antibody test the first time, which came back positive, and they did the more thorough testing the second time, and that one came back negative, I can see the argument that he doesn't have it. He's not dangerous. He's not, he doesn't have it at all, so he's not going to spread it. He just still has the antibodies I'm in his sorry, system. I'm sorry, not Charlie Caruso, Caleb Braxton. I'm sorry okay. about that. Well, we'll just wait for Charlie Caruso to get t- to come down with it twice, and then you'll be correct tw- uh, again. Uh, they do have so point being, they do have a backup fight on this card between Alexandre Pantoja and Askar Askarov. Pantoja will step up if either Benavidez or Figueredo falls out. Um, Jeff, I'll start with you on this fight. Any reason to believe this goes differently? Is no. Joseph is Joseph Benavides finally going to get the monkey no. off of his back? No. I I, lo- I love Joseph Benavides, but I can't in good conscience pick him to win a UFC title fight. It's just not in his genetic makeup to win a UFC title. If he has enough of them, eventually he'll win one. Uh, I'm picking Figueredo here as well. I just... If Benavidez I'm picking Figueredo or I'm picking uh, Pantoja. I actually think if it's Pantoja, I will pick Benavidez. I will throw that out there. I think that's I think that stylistically favors him a lot more. Uh, okay, Andrew, Figueredo and Benavidez. Did you see the first fight? Did you see the good-looking Joseph Benavidez get his face cut to ribbons by Pantoja? Did you see a Mexican come off on the wrong side of a cheeky nodder for once? He you did. know what? I do remember that one. I think I might have even made a comment to you about the cheeky nodders. So, um, yeah, I'm I'm probably going to lean Figueredo again on this one. For the record, that's I think that I maintain that's why Henry Cejudo retired because when he and Cruz clashed heads in their fight, Benavides was or not Benavides Cejudo was the one who was badly cut, and he went, you know what? If I can't headbutt people effectively anymore, I shouldn't be fighting. <laughs> He thought that Nodder was not so cheeky. I mean, it's only cheeky if it doesn't happen every fight, right? Yeah. Um, jokes at Henry Cejudo's expense aside. Uh, seriously, though, he headbutts people in every fight. <laughs> uh, I think even even Usman may have gotten in that realm a few times, and that's kind of just a very natural natural kind of wrestler's reaction to get the the head in as another appendage to use for pressure 
Yeah, I, I think with Usman, it was just because both of Usman's versus Masvidal came in the clinch, which I'm a little more oh, forgiving. Yeah. I'm a little more forgiving of accidental clashes there than, hey, we're both here. Let's duck so you can duck our head lower and run into each other like goats. <laughs> um, anyway, th- that's your main event. Uh, it's a good fight. The co-main's pretty good. I'm just going to go down the rest of this card real quick. Um, Jack Hermanson and Kelvin Gastelum at middleweight. Pretty important fight for both guys, actually. Gastelum uh, on a two-fight losing streak, and he had that great, great fight with Adesanya in 2019 that he lost. Then he lost the Darren Till fight. I know the decision was split, but uh, I don't think that should have been split. I think Till won that. Uh, so he he needs a win pretty badly here uh, if he wants to still be a relevant component of the welterweight division. Uh, and Jack Hermanson, kind of similar. Hermanson's been out for a while. Um, yeah, not a full year, but he was last seen in September of 19 when Jared Cannonier stopped him in the second round. Um Kind of a must-win fight for both guys if they still want to be relevant. If this were five rounds, I would pick Gastelum. I think he holds up better over the distance than Hermanson does. But just over three, uh, I'm still going to lean Gastelum, but Hermanson has a very, very real chance at winning this fight. Uh, Mark Jacquezi will fight uh, Rafael Fiziev. Mark Jacquezi's getting a lot of uh, rehab fights. Because he had a really nasty three-fight losing streak when uh, guys were beating him. And the UFC likes him, so his rehabilitation streak continues here. I think he'll win this fight. Ariane Lipsky will fight Luana Carolina. If Lipsky can't beat Luana Carolina, she needs to be cut. I think she'll win here, but women's flyweight, not the best division. Uh, the aforementioned fight between Alshandre Pantoja and Askar Askarov. I actually kind of like Askarov here, believe it or not. Uh, I just have a habit of picking Russians to beat Brazilians because it amuses me. So, <laughs> and look, if the world's burning, I'm going to make s'mores, right? Yeah. Uh, on the prelim. You saw that last night. That's true. I picked Santos last night, though. Uh,. On the prelims, Khadis uh, Ibramov will fight Roman Dolidze. Where is that guy from? Because that is going to affect how He's that is. He's a Georgian. Go with Dolidze then, because I believe that is correct. Um, probably going with Ibrahimov, but you got two, uh, you know, uh, two Eastern Bloc, you know, uh, Slavic gentlemen going to throw down. That could be interesting. Uh, there's a catchweight fight between Grant Dawson and Nad Naramani. Probably lean towards Naramani there, but that might be okay. Uh, lightweight Joseph Duffy still around in the UFC. We'll fight Joel Alvarez. Is that the same Joel Alvarez I'm thinking of? Because that is going to affect my pick. Uh, do. Uh, okay, no, this is the Spaniard who's gone one and one in the UFC. Okay, I'm going to pick Duffy then. But, uh, man, Joe Duffy needs a win pretty badly. On a two-fight losing streak, not good. 
Um, at bantamweight, Brett Johns and Montel Jackson. That's a sleeper fight, actually. That's pretty good. I'm going to lean towards Johns, but that's a pretty good fight. Uh, another flyweight fight. Holy crap, there's three of them on this card. Didn't know the UFC had enough flyweights on roster to pull that off. Uh, Malcolm Gordon will fight Amir Albazi. I believe both of these gentlemen are making their debuts. Malcolm Gordon. His nickname is X. I can't root for this man anymore. <laughs> um, he's on a four-fight winning streak. Yeah, coming into his debut. His UFC debut. And Albazi is Swedish? Yeah, he's Swedish. Uh, also coming into his UFC debut. Albazi's only lost to Jose Torres. I'll go with Albazi there. Um, at lightweight, Davi Hamos will fight Armin Sarukian. Uh, yes, yes, please, to this fight. That is a really good fight. Um, Sarukian, you may not remember the man. Uh, he's gone one and one in the UFC, but he went pretty much wrestle for wrestle and scramble for scramble with Islam Makachev and then out-wrestled Olivier Yolba-Mercier. And Davi Hamosh, former ADCC champion, he won the finals with a flying armbar over his opponent's guard. It's one of the craziest things you'll ever see. Um, that's a really good fight. That should be on the main card. Uh, I'm going to go with Hamosh there, but good fight. There's a heavyweight fight because, of course, there is. Uh, Sergei Spivak and Carlos Felipe. Um, go with Spivak there. Uh, holy crap. Okay, sorry, that's just not been properly edited. I almost thought there was a fourth flyweight fight on this card. There's not. It's a re, it's a one that's just listed twice. Okay, so that's our main. That's the card for Saturday. Uh, Jeff, I'll start with you again. Apart from the main event, anything stand out to you? Anything um, you're looking forward um, Anson to? Manson Gastelum is a good fight. Um. Gastelum is coming off two losses, but his last two losses were very competitive fights against Israel Adesanya, the middleweight champion, and until uh, Darren Till in a split decision, he arguably could have won. And then Hermanson, even though he hasn't fought in a while, he had a very good 2019. He went two and one, uh, and he was looking very good. He was a surging contender until he ran into Jerry Cannonier, who who suddenly turned around and become, uh, you know, a good middleweight. Um, so I think that's a good, that's a good fight. That's a competitive fight. Uh, I'm very interested. Like that's a, that's a legit co-main event for that fight card. Yeah. Easily could that, that fight easily could be like a fight night main event for five rounds. That could be and main eventing the Wednesday card and no one would complain. I would, I mean, honestly, if, if there was a fight I wanted to have five rounds, it would probably be this one. But uh, that is a good fight. I have no issues with that fight happening, and I'm glad. I'm glad those two are those two are fighting. All right, Andrew. Anything else? For, how about the rest of that card? Come on, you got you got to love some Joe Duffy boxing, right? <laughs> well, one can only live off a submission win over Conor McGregor like eight years ago for so long. So. Um, yeah, I think the only other thing I'd be interested in on this card would be, uh, I don't know, Nate, I don't know. look, Nate Diaz, hang on, Nate Diaz is pulling that off pretty well. <laughs> I 
Well, being a Diaz helps, but I mean, I think that it's literally like Joseph Duffy's only real claim to fame. Uh, I, I so. forgot he, Duffy was still fighting in the UFC. <laughs> he's I mean, up there with what? I was about to say he's up there with what's his name? The guy who was the um, what was the name of the guy who's a barista, but he had beaten Cormier Pat, in wrestling. And got, yes. No, no, no. He never beat Cormier in wrestling. He beat him in a single instance of wrestling practice. It's like the eighth guy Cormier wrestled in preparation for the Olympics that day. Oh, yeah. Like, it was it was one of those really moments. But anyway, yeah, I mean, Hermanson Gastelum looks interesting. Not a lot to say about the rest. Uh, I will, by default, Canadian cheer for Malcolm Gordon because he's from Calgary. Not fighting out of Calgary, though, so. Fair enough. Again, I think uh, if there was one other fight I would point out for you, uh, Hamosh and Sarukian should be should be good fun. All right. Good to know. I mean, come on. You've seen Davi Hamosh's winning submission, right? Maybe I haven't. Oh, look it up, man. It's I forget who we I mean, no one showed up to that ADCC. So there's a little bit of an asterisk there. But yeah, his opponent's seated guard. He's standing in front of him and just hits a flying arm bar over the guard. It's oh, insane. Wait a second. We're going to look at, we're going to look this up right now. It's 14 seconds. Yeah, it's short because it's just the final clip, but it's a thing of beauty. <laughs> that is nice. That is a novel way to get around the sitting guard. And, you know, again, especially in the finals of the ADCC tournament, like you know, my, tip of the cap to him forever for that one. Oh yeah. That's the, that's also the, uh, the, um, Daffy Duck, it's a great trick, but you can only pull it off once maneuver. That's true. <laughs> All right, so that will be UFC on. It's listed right now as on ESPN plus 30. We'll see if it makes it to ESPN proper between now and then. Who knows? ESPN's schedule being what it is, I imagine it'll wind up there, but we'll find out by Saturday. It could be on the Ocho. Yeah, the Ocho is a thing, isn't it? On occasion. Uh, all right, let's see. As far as news goes for me, uh, again, only a couple of things very briefly. Uh, let's start with this. The UFC main card for UFC 252 was announced. Uh, your main event, the trilogy fight between Steve Miocic and Daniel Cormier. Looking forward to that a lot. Um, Junior Dos Santos versus Jarzinho Rosenstrike. Not a bad fight, actually, but man, have you seen Junior Dos Santos lately? Uh, rocking that mustache. He looks old. Man, he got old in a hurry, physically. He looks old. And he's not an old man, but I don't know if it's just the mustache that aged him or the mustache, and apparently he's doing a new strength and conditioning program. He's leaned down a little bit. Wow, he's leaned down a lot. Yeah, some of the stuff he's been posting of himself recently, like, you know, from the neck down, you look pretty good. But from the, you know, the shoulders up, you look about 10 years older than you are. Those Kane fights took a lot out of him. Yeah, yeah, they did. Uh, we also have the rematch between Magomed Ankalaev and Iwan Kutalaba. Okay, I'm down for the insanity, sure. Uh, the, we talked about a little bit earlier. They've rescheduled Pedro Munoz and Frankie Edgar for this fight card. Still picking Pedro Munoz. Uh, another bantamweight fight, actually. Sean O'Malley will fight Marlon Vera. Really good fight. Uh, Marlon Vera is perpetually underappreciated. 
but is really good. Uh, and Sean O'Malley is, you know, surging at the moment. So looking forward to that one. Uh, Vera will be a Vera should be a really good test for him, actually. Uh, some other announced fights, though no bout order for these. Livia Hanata Souza and Ashley Yoder, Felice Herrig versus uh, Virna Jandiroba. And oh, Manuel Cape is debuting in the UFC. Good for him. Uh, that guy's been around, man. Uh, he'll be fighting Rogerio Bonterin. Uh, good for Cop. Good for Cape. I'm really happy to see him in the UFC. So, anyway, main card announced. Uh, Andrew, I'll start with you. Decent enough main card, I think. That's that's pretty good, right? No complaints there? No complaints whatsoever. There's some good stuff on there. I am a little surprised by seeing um, JDS that high on the card, especially against Rosenstroik. I mean, JDS is getting to the... He, he's kind of in the same point as Kane, where I just kind of wish he would retire. I just I don't want to see that guy take any more damage if he doesn't need to. I'm kind of borderline that way with, as much as I'm a huge fan of him, Frankie Edgar as well. I I understand the point on both those guys. Uh, JDS is such a nice human being. <laughs> oh, he is. He is. And I mean, I, I love watching Frankie Edgar fight, but he's just, he doesn't quite have any more. Yeah, and this will be his bantamweight debut. You see the picture of him uh, when he was preparing for this week. He announced, uh, like, a couple of days ago, he announced he was 145. Uh, he's looking a little drawn out. Like that weight cut is not doing him favors. Yeah. Let me see if I can pull that up. I mean, yeah, now I he's cutting. Uh... Now he's actually cutting weight. Well, he At would cut. Lightweight, he, cut a, he was. Yeah. Lightweight was basically walk around for him. He cut a little bit to one forty five. But you know, cutting and weight. I mean, for, look. He, that's not, I mean, that's, that's da- the weight you're cutting now that he's actually cutting weight. That's dangerous. That's weight. You're not meant to lose. And he is 38. Exactly. It's With... not good for your body. No, it really isn't. So anyway, Jeff, any thoughts on the main card that's been announced? Um... I almost don't, I almost I don't want to say it's a one-fight card because, I mean, you do have some notable talents on there. Um, it's I, I think uh, if we're talking it's about okay. if we're talking about pay-per-view quality, yeah, there's only one fight you're paying money for on this card. Um, it's I mean, it's a pandemic card. Uh, I wouldn't pay full price on it, but. You got some. You got a couple of interesting fights on there. Um, I think for Oma- for Sean O'Malley, a guy like Marlon Vera is a good matchup for him right now. You don't want to push him. You don't want to push him against those top five contenders yet. Uh, Marlon Vera, I think, is a good matchup for him. I think honestly, I think O'Malley is getting a little overhyped right now. So I think this is a good type of fight to build his resume and see how he does against some more experienced uh veteran uh like that is see is vera ranked i don't think he is i don't think he is either he's not o'malley is ranked number 14 which i think might be premature to be honest with you i think that's about i I tend to think that's about fair all right fair enough fair enough it's a yeah it's an okay i mean look 
in all fairness, I also would. Geez, let me look at these rankings for a second. Uh, okay, so Jan is. So these haven't been updated in the wake of yesterday's events. So Jan is now your champion. Marais and Sterling are probably not going to change. So that's still going to be one and two. Uh, Garbrandt, Sandhagen, Aldo will drop. Munoz will probably come up. Asensal, Rivera, Stamen, Font, Cruz, Dodson, O'Malley, Song. So Jan's going to go up. Someone else is going to take at a minimum the 15th spot. I would, I mean, I would do, there's a, there's a couple of guys on there that I would not have on at all. So I would probably, if I were, if I were to make my top 15 for the UFC, I would probably have O'Malley and Vera in the somewhere between 13 and 15. I don't know Mm -hmm. who, I don't know who, where, but I think they'd both occupy that space for me. Uh, uh, Regarding Sigano, I mean, ultimately it's his decision. He has been taking a lot of damage over the past 10 years. Um. I feel like he was given a chance to kind of have another run and make another run for the title. And then he got beat, but he got knocked, he got knocked out by Curtis blades. Okay. Before that, he got knocked out by Nganu. Um, I would not, I would ideally not want to see him fight much longer. Um, he took a lot of damage in those Cain Velasquez fights and they clearly, those fights, and he has not been the same since those last two fights with Velasquez. Yeah, I um, agree with that. Not uh, and the first fight with Stipe. That yeah, that was well. that was a uh, that was a war. People forget about that one. That was a war, which he te- didn't. He, all right, he won. He he won that fight, but he didn't look like the winner after that fight was over. It, he, those, uh, he and Stipe beat the crap out of each other. Exactly. In that fight. That was I, got, rough, I got some yeah. grief for scoring that for JDS, actually. A lot of people thought Stipe won. I thought I thought I think I scored it for Junior, but it was a tough. It was a competitive fight. And and Junior did take a lot of damage. Um, Yeah, it's an OK card. So there you go. OK, last thing I have on my notes here for news um the ufc announced this week that when the reebok deal when their partnership with reebok expires in 21 their new apparel partner will be venom um this was i think now we don't let me so they're going this. from reebok to venom well hang on, let me let me do a couple of things here one we don't know there's a lot we don't know about this. We don't know duration. We don't know numbers in terms of dollars. We don't know whether or not the UFC is still going to be doing the thing they did with Reebok, where fighters get a percentage of the UFC's percentage, which is to say very, very little. I Here, imagine I have, they... uh, I have some uh, uh, writing on this. Some okay. It's UFC-approved writing, of course, though. Uh, UFC outfitting policy is administered through its promotional guidelines compliance program, UFC will adjust the pay scale tied to the promotional guidelines compliance program, which will which will result in across the board increases for all athletes effective April 2021. UFC's existing apparel partnership with Reebok uh, expires March 2021. Reebok will continue to serve as the official footwear provider of UFC through the end of next calendar year. Okay. Um 
Yeah, so again, we don't know the specific numbers. That hasn't been released yet. I imagine I, I imagine it will be more than they got from Reebok the first time around because Reebok criminally underpaid because the UFC was just desperate to take money away from fighters, <laughs> I guess. Um, yeah, it, it was a like pathetically small amount that Reebok paid for that deal. Uh, but, you know, the UFC let them do it, so... That, Point being, there's a lot of that that we don't know. Um, I think the way the Reebok deal played out did some damage. Now, the UFC is still a very valuable property, and I don't mean it in the sense that you know the, the brand was damaged catastrophically. But Reebok came off bad in PR because Dana White basically lied about how the pay structure was going to work. So when it came out how little fighters were making, everyone screamed at Reebok, and Reebok's response, which is correct, was, we don't pay the fighters, we pay the UFC. The UFC pays the fighters. They uh, rushed the deal, too. Yeah, it was for a low amount. Uh, they they did rush the rollout. Uh, I mean, you remember that, like, pseudo-fashion show launch thing they did? Yeah, I God, remember that. What a catastrophe that was. Uh, point being, I think a lot of apparel companies watched the reaction and looked at kind of... So not only not only did you know the, you, the MMA fan base to the larger apparel world suddenly have a personality and a reaction, and boy, did we all throw Reebok under the bus on occasion, sometimes deservedly, sometimes not. There was the, so there's the PR hit that Reebok took. There's the potential financial hit that Reebok took. Um, I don't have any hard numbers to support this, so let me, let me start with that. I don't think anything Reebok sold that was... I don't think the, the stuff sold well. I don't think Reebok made a tremendous amount of money on this in terms of, here's our product, buy it. And I think... There was again. There's just some baggage associated with all of that. I just don't think I. I don't think it makes sense for UFC to have uniforms. It's not. It's not a team sport, you know. I agree with that. I think there is space for a degree of uniformity, but with personalizable, you know, personalized, customizable components, so that not everyone looks the same. I mean, you're only you only become a big star by being an individual and the homogeneity that came out of this did some real damage to that whole process. But sometimes fighters would have not always like, you know, I, I, I admit some MMA, MMA brands were just really kind of tacky and just uninteresting. But sometimes Affliction. fighters affliction we're staring right at you buddy <laughs> yeah but i mean there were some there were some fight team shirts or fighter camp shirts that were very creative and it would be very good from time to time and i just think it's better for fighters to have the option to do that um now granted the ufc it is the ufc's airtime and they have the right to control what is on their airtime um, I just think it's a shame that fighters had this source of income 
that they that's no longer available to them and it was replaced with something that gave them a lot less a lot less this thing paid out i think i think i saw the report and then i did the math on it it wound up being that reebok that the fighters were paid under the reebok deal like an extra 10 grand per fighter per year it was nothing and i would say even going going to you know some of the image questions i mean I'm just going to come out and say it. I don't think the Reebok stuff was ever really up to snuff. I mean, I think, uh, Rob, I sent you a quick message last night before the Paige Van Zandt fight. There's a really good example of it where where Paige Van Zandt had come out and she was wearing the the black shorts and she had the black top on, but she chose to wear, wear you know a shirt over top. And they didn't have a magic shirt, matching shirt. She was wearing black pants and a white shirt for some reason. They didn't. Just if Reebok that wasn't never if that wasn't her personal decision to go two tone like that, it's ridiculous. Yeah, there should be an option that you know, even in terms of you know whether or not you like the fact there's a there's a uniform, it should at least be a uniform and be you know consistent in design. Now, so one of the things about Venom replacing them, you're not going to see the same. You're not going to see those gaffes that Reebok had Venom knows the combat sports space, has been here for a long time. Venom also does... Uh, again, I know they were, they were fairly big in the MMA space for a while. They That kind of went away for a bit, but they got pretty heavy into boxing or reinvested in boxing. Um, they're really they, good they're at... They're a profitable company, though? Yes. Hmm. Again, the, the MMA apparel space really took you know took a big hit when a lot of other when a lot of places dried up and then when a lot of the ufc said all right no tap you won't. Out, i like tap out in the in the in the late early in the late aughts early tens tap out was the big brand as i recall and then tap out went over to wwe of all places yeah they're still yeah. there i think and a lot of those a lot of those um that industry just straight up died. Like they're, uh, you know, tap out kind of went over to WWE for the sake of survival. Um, I mean, Jayco is, is yeah, nearly a shell of its former self. Yeah. That's uh, one. I mean, some affliction of the, died. Um, I think bad boy just died, died for a lot of reasons. True. And a lot of them, a lot of them diversified and went elsewhere. Like Hayabusa is still around and, and they're kind of my preferred brand, but I mean, they, they still make a lot of stuff and, but they've but, had to move away from that. They went into Muay Thai and they went into competitive yeah. karate and BJJ geese and stuff like that. And, and even a lot of the, um, I can't remember what the main one was, but like one of the big MMA gear sites where you could get all this stuff basically folded. Yeah. And, Venom has been pretty big in the boxing space, actually, for a while. They are great about providing full-on, like, uh, lines of content. Um, it, uh, I think they have Lomachenko's at the moment, actually. They do, yes. Okay. Here's a, here's a number I got from ESPN. Um, the Reebok deal was uh, six years, $70 million a year. Uh, the money was not all cash. It included the value of the product's. Reebok provided. Yeah, it was the whole deal was a mess. So I, I think Venom will be a step up. The question is how much. Uh, I'm curious to see how it plays out. And obviously, there's a lot of numbers that we need that will not be made available until next year at some point. Yeah. 
And but, the other bit of speculation was, do they also, as it's been talked about for years, do we talk about a, a glove redesign since Venom does make gloves? And Venom makes pretty good gloves, actually. Uh, yeah, I've used them myself, but I'm looking at them. And I mean, they've actually got an extra, one interesting thing, they've actually got an extra piece that goes over the thumb and it actually has a bit of padding there. So that's that's kind of interesting. Yeah, that that is an interesting design choice. Uh, I mean, some some of those uh, MMA gloves that you get with that are just very specifically sparring gloves and not competition gloves. So, oh yeah, those are those are their four ounce though. Like I've seen that. I've got sparring gloves with that feature, but they've actually got it on their their four ounce like fight gloves. So yeah, uh, I'm curious to see whether or not the UFC will implement that or not. Uh, but yeah, that's a big one. So. Uh, again, we'll be keeping our eyes on that whole situation as it plays out. Uh, <laughs> see, I think that's everything I had listed here. So do we uh, do we want to talk about Mike Perry a little bit or just kind of let that drunken Florida man lie? I'm not surprised. I'm, I do want to say something. I'm not surprised okay. that... I, I thought he should have been taken out of that Mickey Gall fight, and it's documented. I said he should have been taken out of that fight before it happened. Because um, he was on Ariel Hawani right days before that fight. And he just, he looked erratic, he sounded erratic, and it just looked like being locked into a cage to fight another man should have been the last place he should have said. It's another thing for Dana White to say that. If Dana White's saying that and saying he's not surprised he's acting that way, like, why is he allowing him to fight uh, uh, against Mickey Gall? Um, he should never have been allowed to take that fight. And I guess it's okay if you're going to force him to go into counseling and whatnot and give him a chance to rehabilitate himself. But I don't know. I don't know if it, I, the guy's taken a lot of damage over his UFC career. So I don't know if this is possibly head trauma related at all, but the man is, is clearly imbalanced and I don't know if counseling is enough to help him, but uh, counseling works if you want it to work. Like that's just kind of the long and the short of that. But I, the video footage was, was, was frightening. I mean, some people have defended him saying that guy, that guy kind of aggressively went up to him. He not, he knocked out an elderly man. I, I'm which sorry. Is more, there's, <laughs> no, there's no excuse for that. He's oh, a God. he's a he's a combat athlete. His body, the, no joke. His body is a certified weapon, and, and that guy's head bounced off concrete, and he and he had me, and he had memory loss and and likely brain damage from that incident. So, whatever. Oh, sorry, I just. Well, now we know who hits harder between Mike Perry and Conor McGregor, at least, right? Oh, but maybe just the, maybe guy, just the guy my the guy Connor hit didn't even like flinch. I know. Maybe just maybe was, Irish. Maybe the yeah. old Irish just have better chins than <laughs> the elderly <laughs> in Florida. I don't know. Are we going to get uh, yeah, that uh, hey, just, there we go. There we go. We, the UFC can make up another gimmick belt. We can have Perry versus Connor for the beat an old man in a bar title. <laughs> also, uh, the. Uh, actually, actually, Robert, this happened in Lubbock, Texas, not Florida. Okay. 
Uh, it's a point. Okay, so an, I'll just say elderly American then instead of elderly Irishman. But <laughs> God, yeah. Look, Perry, if he's not willing to, you know, counseling like this only works if you want it to work. Full stop. If he's not interested in dealing with what's wrong, it's not going to matter. You can lead a horse to water, but you cannot make it drink, as the saying goes. Yeah, speaking of Perry's erratic behavior leading up to that, yeah, you're right about the Helwani show. He was on the, uh, I think Brian Campbell from CBS Sports had an interview with him. Uh, I forget the venue, whether that was something official or the State of Combat podcast, one of the two. And went very badly. He asked, I forget the question he asked, but Perry went into a profanity-laden tirade for a little bit and then hung up. Uh, so, yeah, he's, he's a little bit all over the place. He made his girlfriend his cornerman for that fight. And this is his new girlfriend who he was married. He married another woman a few months ago. And uh, that, I don't know when exactly they split up, but he split up with his wife. And now he now he has a new girlfriend and he made his girlfriend his cor- his cornerman. Now, yeah, he won that Mickey golf fight. But I mean. This is not normal behavior, behavior, and I think you all would agree. I don't know. There might be. There's a kind of an argument that his making his girlfriend his corner was a bit of a genius move. Actually, he didn't have to split his purse with anybody. <laughs> I mean, yeah, yeah. But as I said, as I said, I think uh, last week, you you can do that against a guy like Mickey Gall. It's gonna Mickey Gall. Yeah, you can do that. Well, I mean, if you can listen, if you can hear the commentators giving out all the technical advice that they do, maybe you don't need a corner under the current circumstances. <laughs> Just make sure Cormier is commentating. Because, yeah, he does that a lot. Uh, okay, I think that's everything. Uh, let me check Twitter one more time. See if anything. Bisbing and, he- Bisbing and Henderson got into it uh, on Twitter last night. You're both old. You're both missing pieces of your. <laughs> you're both old. You both were, you know, abusing drugs at one point or another. You're both missing pieces of your face. Leave each other alone. No one cares. Also, Zahudo was jawing at uh, Volkanovski. Sign on the dotted line or stay away. I don't care about Henry Zahudo until he is. Zahudo, you back. retired. You retired, Zahudo. You walked away. You vacated the belt. Um, and I do not yeah. like his chances against Alexander the Great. <laughs> Uh, neither do I. I think Volkanovsky would handle him. Um, yeah, Nate and Connor started. Ju- uh, Nate said something after the fact, and Connor responded on Twitter. Just oh god, can we not with this crap, please? Connor is also retired. Yeah, for officially the time, for the fourth time officially. Yeah, if he's again, if you're not going to sign on the dotted line, uh, just, just shut up. <laughs> If you retire to unretire, then you can talk. Until then, shut up. I remember the, the New York Post reported that uh, uh, Connor accepted, or, or Anderson Silva accepted a challenge for uh, from Connor McGregor. Uh, yeah, they both kind of threw that out at one point that they wanted to fight, and the UFC actually shut it down, which kind of boggled my mind. You'd think they'd be all over that. Connor accepts UFC fight with Anderson Silva. How would it work? Um, originally published by the sun. That ought to tell you everything you need to know about the validity of the, um, yeah, there were apparently some reports out of Russia that Khabib was going to retire. Those have been essentially discredited by his manager. Uh, 
Khabib's still in mourning. Like I'm, I'm going to give that guy a, a solid month and a half before I even remotely believe anything related you gotta, to his future. Yeah, I don't think I don't think he's going to retire. Just give him some space. Give him some time. And to be fair, also, if he does, I'm not going to hold anything against him if he does. That's uh, losing a parent is one of those life altering things that if you reassess your status in the world and go, you know what? I don't want to train as much as I need to and fight and you know, continue to be the at this level, then you know, I'm, not, I'm just not going to say anything bad about it, about that decision anyone makes. Uh, OK, I think that's everything. Nothing else seems to have. Nothing else seems to have broken while we've been recording. So on that note, then let if my computer will stop doing that. Thank you. Uh, let's get into plugs then. Uh, Andrew, let's start with you. Anything, any podcasts you have coming up, anything in your life you want to throw out? Uh, just floor is yours. Odds and ends in the combat sports world. Plugs you want to make, what have you. Sure thing. Uh, so I train at uh, Esteem Martial Arts and Havoc JKD in Calgary. Uh, location is open for some physical distancing classes right now. Uh, also, if you're interested, uh, some of the classes are also being provided via Zoom, and that can be found on the studio's uh, Facebook page. Uh, to that end, I'd also like to uh, plug my instructor, Jay Cooper's um, podcast, The Bang of the Hound. Uh, he does kind of short format, kind of one-hour interviews with a number of figures within the uh, martial arts world uh of particular note give uh give his interview with uh, officer d burton a listen that's a that's a great one and that's available on all your major um all your major uh podcasts i believe i've got a couple items coming up right now um i think i'm gonna be part of this uh this star trek uh retrospective that uh my good friend dave wright is putting together on the rattledge broadcasting network um and i think i've already been scheduled in for uh a couple of things over on on the uh, Radledge network with uh, with Memorial. Uh, sorry, are with, you guys going uh, to talk about Day. how abysmal Picard is? I think David's the one setting the schedule there. I don't know if Picard is on it, but if it is, I I think all of us. I haven't seen it yet, but everyone that I know that's seen it kind of went, yeah, that wasn't great. Uh, actually, we did a a pretty Dave, Mark, and I did a pretty intensive review on Picard, and, and we definitely all had kind of mixed feelings i think i was probably the most positive on it and but it, it definitely has its wrinkles yeah i will be a part of that podcast series in the near future as well because nobody else was going to step up and talk about voyager so i will uh i'm biting that particular bullet voyager I'm, is I, leagues better than picard and discovery well yeah discovery is terrible <laughs> i might actually check the schedule and step in on that one for voyager as well for a few of the episodes that they did. Uh, okay. Uh, yeah. I'll, also, uh, I do kind of, I check out the bang of the hound when I can. Uh, I will echo uh, Andrew mentioning the most recent episode. Uh, really interesting discussion that they had as two former law enforcement officers kind of about some of the climate of the world and things that are going on and whatnot. And, kind of marrying that with some of the martial arts ethos and philosophy. So again, if you have the time, I, I do recommend that show. All right, Jeff, you have stuff. You have a lot of All stuff. All right. Tell me about uh, your stuff. My, my podcast uh, is the 411 Wrestling Interviews podcast. That's what I've mainly been doing over the summer uh, with everything shut down. Uh, my more recent ones are Zach Clayton, uh, 
uh, Contra units, Joseph Simael uh, from MLW, and um, Stu Bennett, formerly Bad News Barrett and Way Barrett in WWE. So please check those out. It's on Apple Podcasts now, the 411 Mania YouTube channel, uh, Stitcher, uh, Spotify, and Google Play if you would like uh, to listen to any of those. And I have a couple reviews uh, I am working on for this month. I registered it as, as media for Comic Con at home, but God help me if I know how that's going to work. They haven't really, they haven't really told me how media stuff for Comic Con at home. I mean, it's a virtual thing. I don't know if I'll be having any virtual interviews or things from that, uh, but we'll see. Man, anybody else wish they could go back to February and invest in Zoom? Yeah, I wish. Yeah, yeah, definitely. <laughs> Yeah, but then I I probably uh, probably get like uh, tapped by the SEC for insider training or something. But yeah, Zoom seems to be Zoom seems to be the new industry standard at this point. Seems to be the big thing. Yeah, you think and- Skype? You think Skype would be doing would be doing bangbusters? But no, it's Zoom. Skype sucks way too much bandwidth for those kind of big calls. If you're doing video stuff, it's just. It, it lags your computer all to hell. <laughs> so I can understand why Zoom wound up doing that. Uh, okay, as for myself, again, my full report for UFC 251 in the MMA Zone of 411 Mania. I am provide. I am handling the MLW review beat at the moment. And my review there, now they did their anthology series. Now they're just re-airing old stuff. So you can find my review of MLW Underground, which was their first TV show uh, back in 2003. Uh, you can find my review of that in the M- in the Wrestling Zone of 411 Mania. Uh, this episode had a match between Christopher Daniels and Vampiro, which was odd to watch because... I mean, Daniels has wrestled everybody. I just didn't think he ever got in there with Vampiro, but I was wrong. And seeing roided up Vampiro is a little weird. That man was jacked. Uh, so again, my upcoming coverage of MMA-related stuff on Wednesday and Saturday. This Tuesday, I will be on Damn You Hollywood, one of my regular hosting gigs when there were movies. Mark and I will be talking about uh, The Old Guard, which was released on Netflix over the weekend. Uh, I'll be watching it either tonight or, well, we're recording this Sunday evening, so I'll be watching it before we review it, because I kind of have to. Uh, I don't think I was originally supposed to be reviewing this movie, but somebody fell out, and my one of my jobs is, anybody falls out for any reason, I, I'm whack-a-mole. <laughs> I, I show up. So Mark and I will be talking about that on Damn You Hollywood, and then we'll be back here next week to review both of the UFC events and throw a preview of, you know, for the 26th. Let's check something. We'll be having a double preview next week, one for the 20, for the event on the 26th. So that's going to be the 25th. Yeah, that is mislabeled. I think that was supposed to be another one of their Australia shows. Anyway, sorry, just a single one, because that'll be the 25th, and then that'll be the first. 
Yeah, so we'll be previewing next week UFC on ESPN 14. Uh, Whitaker versus Till. I do not feel good about this event. I'm looking at it now. Whitaker and Till, good fight. Uh, like that fight. Tough fight for Whitaker, man. Taron Till is not an easy out. I like his chances, but tough fight. Your co-main event, like two decades after their first fight, we have Shogun and Little Nog again. I'll yell about that next week. Um, Verdum versus the returning Alexander Gustafson up at heavyweight. Carlos Spars is fighting. Paul Craig versus Gadzimiro at Antigulov. Yeah, it's... Okay, one of the best fights on that card is actually curtain jerking. Okay. Yeah, I don't feel good about that card, but we'll go over it next week and see if my opinion changes between now and then. All right, that's it for us. On behalf of Andrew and Jeff, I am Robert. Thank you very much for listening. We appreciate you all. We appreciate your support. We appreciate your reviews, your comments, your shares, your likes, your subscriptions. Any platform, any place, any time, that's us. You can find us everywhere. As always, stay safe out there, everyone, and please continue to be well, be safe, and behave.